<laughs> oh, I love that man. I do. I do. From a, if I can, if I can just, um, as a personal note, um, when Jim asked me to come to the hospital and, and pray with him and Gail, of course, the answer is yes. But I, um, two phrases came to mind as I was driving from the hospital on Friday. Um, this is how I feel. Um, I feel profoundly willing and completely unworthy to be a minister of the gospel. And I have to remind myself of the, the promise of Scripture that it's God who equips, it's God who qualifies. My, my mom and dad, they raised me saying, Tommy, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. So let's all, when the question is asked, would you, can the answer just be yes, knowing that it's the Lord that's going to be doing the ministering anyway? It just happens to be that our God is so obnoxiously awesome, he's willing to include us in on this. Uh, a long story without any details needed, we're moving this memory foam mattress in our house, which is like, I, if, if they could make a pancake out of lead, I, I'm not sure how, what laws of physics they have broken in the memory foam world, but it's the most gangly and unwieldy heavy thing, and I'm trying to move it, and I need everybody to get out of my way. I, I have um, the strongest of my children helping me on the other end of the mattress, but who rushes to our aid but my three-year-old son, Judah? Who is in the way and under my feet and made the job harder? But his, what he said is, I help you. I help, I help you. I help, I help. Okay? You get it? Right? Father, I help. Right? I help. Yes, Tommy, you help. All right, let's pray again, and then, surprise, we're, we're still in John 17. Yeah, Father, your son prayed this. He prayed it to you. He prayed it in his own name, and he prayed it over us. Jesus, you prayed for us. Yeah, we could spend the rest of our lives just in this prayer. We won't, at least not in this series. But Jesus, may we always be drawn back to these words when we need the assurance and the promise that these words bring. For the next few moments this morning, Jesus, speak loudly and clearly. In your name we do pray. Amen. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, um, let me just read what we've done so far, and you don't have to worry about that part because, you know, we haven't gone very far. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus' number one desire is to glorify the Father. That's his heartbeat, is the glory of the Father. So again, that asked us the question, is that our heartbeat? Is that what motivates everything that we do for God our Father to be glorified? Jesus shows and says that He is the supreme authority over all existence. He has that authority. It was, it was, it was His. It was, um, he was proven worthy to have it and to keep it. It was bestowed upon Him. He is Yahweh. He's Adonai. He's the Lord. He's God. He is our King. And so what that means is that all sin, all disease, all cancer, Jim, amen, all wickedness, all injustice, all crime, all pride, all arrogance, all poverty, all hunger, all power, all governments, all empires, all emperors, all husbands, all wives, all children, all circumstances, divorce, weather, planets, gravity, time, cultures, movements, trends, fashions, ideas, thoughts, dreams, words, songs, Everything, including death itself, must bow to the lordship of Jesus. Nothing can juke or jive around him. Nothing can move outside of his authority and his permission. And what does he do with that authority? He grants life. He grants life to whom? To all who the Father has given him. Life. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existence. Jesus says, I did what you asked me to do. And as we talked about, finished work is worthy of glory. Grab the lawn chair, have a seat, take a look at what you did. It wasn't, and now it is. It's worthy of glory. Jesus created all that is. You know, like, um, we really just reassemble things. We're not creators. We're just assemblers. Right? Um, I, I, well, I can't take a tree. Someone else can take a tree, and from that tree they can make lumber. Now, from that lumber, I can reassemble that lumber into something resembling furniture. Did I create it? Nah, I just reassembled it. A a poet once said, and it's in one of my favorite movies, Groundhog Day. I I didn't intend on quoting Groundhog Day this morning. Phil says, only God can make a tree. Jesus made the tree that was turned into a cross that he allowed himself to be nailed to. That's the authoritative sovereignty of God granting life. Graciously and abundantly granting life. And now that he's done that, because it's what the Father asked him to do, he says, now can I be with you? 
now can I come home to be with you. For Jesus, glory without presence is empty. Amen. I, I, last week's sermon on heaven, preachers can't help but do this. Preachers preach the sermon that they're listening to. If you're not a preacher, you don't really get this. But in heaven, Jeremy, thank you, was so beautifully described. But I'm going, it's Jesus. Jesus is there. And then Jeremy said, yeah, but take all the gold and the pearly gates, all that. Blah. Jesus is there. The presence of Jesus is there. Everything else is, oh, yeah, by the way, I like what you've done with the place. Thank you that I get to be with you. That's Jesus' cry and that's ours. May we be with him. You know, a way to, to, to translate the word abide that Jesus implores us to do, to, to abide in him, another way to translate that is, is be at home with. Jesus wants to abide with his Father. He has made the way for us to abide with him as well. And now in John 17, Jesus is beginning to directly intercede on behalf of his disciples. He is interceding on behalf of his disciples to his Father. He's interceding for them. And I interceding it's 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 stepping in between it's speaking on behalf of it's speaking up for it's vouching for it's what okay if i if i jesus says if i could father allow me to jesus begins interceding and it's fitting that jesus begins to intercede here in john 17 uh, but it really shouldn't surprise us he, he's already been interceding for him as a matter of fact jesus was interceding for his disciples before he chose his disciples okay from from luke chapter 6 starting in verse 12 and these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Don't miss it. He prayed all night for those apostles and then chose them. He has been praying for his disciples since before they were chosen. And let's just name them. Simon whom he named Peter and Andrew his brother and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who is called the Zealot and Fisher Michael Thomas Shelton and Tommy Shelton and the Reverend George Thomas Shelton Maris Shelton, all the Sheltons really. Just all the Toms, you know. If you're a man in this church, you're probably Tom. You're on the list. And guess what? He interceding for us before we were called. He continues to intercede for his disciples. Look in Luke 22, starting in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines? But I am among you as the one who serves." You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Now, if you're Simon, Peter, that... I'm listening. Jesus turns to him and says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And what did you say? Jesus says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. If I'm Peter, I'm going to say, Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Kind of like how when all of us are going through stuff and we share it and someone says, I'll be praying for you. Thanks. That's why I've just made a point to just pray in that moment, wherever you are, just pray now. I'd like, it's gone, right? It'll be seven days later and I'll be like eating some cereal and then it'll dawn on me. Ah, I haven't been, that, the thing was, just pray, right? But so we, we hear Someone's praying for us. We're like, hmm, no, no, fantastic, good. Glad you're praying for me. If I'm Peter, I want to say, Jesus, couldn't you just said um, no? I, I kind of wouldn't you. I mean, for us, wouldn't you rather Jesus just say no, Satan? You may not sift him like wheat. Try again. But Jesus allows it. But he prays. So, I, Jim, I, I don't know. Did, did Satan ask Jesus to afflict you with cancer? Maybe Jesus' response was, okay. But Satan, dude, i got to warn you, I'm praying for that man. So try. But you can't take him. He's mine. And uh, Satan, spoiler alert, a lot of people are going to come to Christ because of his cancer. You're not going to win this, but... Thanks for playing. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I'm asking you now, how many times has Peter's failure to stay faithful to Jesus during his trial, but then watch him be restored by Jesus himself. How many times has that strengthened you? Thank you, Jesus, that you allowed Satan to sift him like wheat, but you prayed for him. And that prayer was answered in your name, Jesus. He was restored, and yes, I am his brother and I was strengthened. Praise be to God that he's the one who is wise and not us. If I had been the one with authority, I would have said, no, Jesus can't sift him. 
And then where would our encouragement come from? And Jesus continues to intercede for his disciples. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who, intercede, who intercedes and is interceding for us? Jesus was interceding, continued to intercede, is interceding, and will continue to intercede for his disciples. Are you Christ's disciple? He is interceding for you. This, this might sound like, a, like an odd on connection here. Let's spend a little time in Job. Okay? Book of Job. Um, uh, the oldest book of the Bible. Okay, Job, he, he predates the, the patriarchs, right? He predates the, the written word or, the, or the, the scriptures even in the oral tradition. Job, long time ago. And you're familiar with the story of Job, right? Satan says, hey, I mean, God, you know, Satan's like milling around and God's like, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, sure, he seems pretty awesome, but that's just because you blessed him so much. Tell you what, God, how about I, let's just say, sift him like wheat and he, he'll prove himself unfaithful. And God says, okay, all right, sure, go ahead, but don't harm him. And so, like, you know, the story, so, you know, Job's just chilling out and servant comes running in. He says, Job, I got to tell you something. This is bad news. Your, your oxen, right, and your donkeys um, and the servants, um, they were all sorted to death by a roving band of, 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 uh, of, of brigands, and uh, they're all dead. And I alone have come to, and then someone else busts in. Job, I got to tell you, this is bad news. Fire from heaven came down, consumed the sheep and the servants. They're all gone. Only I survived to come. Then someone else busts in. Job, bad news. Camels, they're all gone. And the servants. Servants, you don't fare well in this story. Job was a very, very wealthy man. Wealth as measured in, in land and animals and also children. Before Mr. Camel Bad News was finishing, another servant came in out of breath and says, Job, your children, they're all dead. Your seven sons and your three daughters, they're dead. They were, they were in the home of the eldest and the building collapsed and they're all dead. What is Job's response? I'm sure you know it. Job says in chapter 1, starting in verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. 
Praise God for the faith of Job. My goodness. Wow. I cannot fathom that as the response. He worshipped. He fell on the ground and worshipped. And, 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 and would that the story have ended there? Satan goes back and, and approaches God again. And, and he says, yeah, God, of, of course. But, you know, you, you, you made me spare his flesh. So... If you let me strike his flesh, if you, if you let me make him to suffer, be in pain, if you make his body to fail, then he will curse you. Right? So Satan struck his flesh, and there he is sitting on a pile of ash with open sores. He's scraping the sores with broken pieces of pottery, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Job's response, he still doesn't question God's authority. He still doesn't question God's justice. But he does say, I wish I was never born. And then he goes on, Job is a, is a thick book. It's difficult. It's poetic, but that doesn't make it not true. But read through it. My goodness. It begins this discourse between these friends, and some of them are helpful, some of them are not. His wife should just keep her mouth shut. And Job begins this dialogue, and, and he, he never curses God and never tells God that he was wrong, but, but he is really having a difficult time because he looks at his own life and he goes, what did I do wrong? God, you're just. I know that you're just. I had to have done something wrong. And he like go in conversation, he goes through. He's like, look, I always made sacrifices. I even made sacrifices for my children in case they make sacrifices. I never wronged a, a, a person. I never lied. I never, I never cheated. I, help me understand what I've done wrong because I, I know that you're just. And this happened to me. This has got to be punishment. I'm confused. Tell me. Please show me. You have to show me why, why. Why, why, why? God answers him. God answers him in, in Job 38. And man, I would love to read Job 38 through like the end of the book. I'm not going to do that. But let me just, let me, let me just skim through here and, and just read a, a few highlights. In Job 38, God finally answers men of this church. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you should put this on something permanent. I'm not saying tattoo it. I'm not saying don't. Listen to this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Maybe put that, you know, um, ladies, I, I, you can put on your mirror, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made. What a beautiful reminder that should be to all of you ladies. So men, I think we need something on our, on our mirrors, right? Dress like a man. Right? I mean, God is literally saying, put on your big boy pants and then ask me your silly questions. I'll give you an answer. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. If you have understanding, 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. How many of us, I mean, mean, I'm speaking of humanity. I'm speaking, especially men. Let me just keep talking to the men. How many men in the panhandle of Florida tried to tell the ocean, You can't come any farther. Now this is my house. I built it. You can't come any farther. Only to see it washed away. God says, I told the water where to stop. Did you, Job? Hmm? Did you? No? Yeah. I didn't think so. I mean, God goes on to say, "Uh, Job, do you tell the lightning bolts where to strike? Hey, Job, can you snatch the prey out of the mouth of a lion? Hey, Job, did you arrange the stars in the sky? I mean, did you do that? No? I mean, I got to... Just it's oh it's so good. Right, uh, uh, chapter thirty nine, starting in twenty six. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag and, and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood. And where, uh, and where the slain are, there he is. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Man, it's good. It's good. But Job said it all in the very beginning. If, If he would only have listened to himself, man, I sure do love it when my family preaches me back to me. It's the best. I made the mistake one time of brilliantly saying to my wife off the cuff when I had forgotten something, um, uh, or no, when someone else forgot something, I said, you know what, Mara, it dawned on me the other day um, that people don't ever forget anything. They just don't care enough to remember. And I was like, man, that is some, that is some, man, that is some gold-plated wisdom right there, my friend. Well, thank you, my friend. You're welcome. How many times has my wife preached that back to me? I'm sorry, honey, I just, I forgot. Oh, really? You forgot? A wise man once said that no one ever forgets anything. They just don't care enough to remember. 
If only Job would have listened to himself. Look in Look in Job chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9. And he's speaking of God and he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. He's like, I, I can't go to trial against God. Then in, here in verse 33, before the patriarchs, before the written scriptures, before the prophets, before Jesus, before Paul, before the, before the gospels, Job says this, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job says, God is holy and righteous. I'm not. I got beef with God. But I, I can't put him on trial. There's no arbiter between us who would lay a hand on us both. And you know what an arbiter is. An arbiter stands between two parties and says, Job says, Job says we're lost because we have no arbiter. There's no one to stand in between us and God. Who is our arbiter? Jesus. God and man stretches out one hand and puts it on our shoulder. Stretches out another hand and He stands between us. And He intercedes for us. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who intercedes and is interceding for us? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. And we're going to pray. And I'll preach the rest of this next week. Jesus, it's your words that we need to hear. And it's your words that the Father hears. Jesus, you said it is finished. We need to hear it as your Father heard it. It is finished. Your work is, is finished, but yet it continues. We, we can't even wrap our minds around that. You, 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 you started the work before we even existed. You started praying for us, your disciples, before you called us, your disciples. You, you, you interceded for your disciples. You continue to intercede for your... You'll continue to intercede. You, we will always have you interceding. You, you have drawn us. Father, you placed us at the feet of your Son. Your Son, Jesus, you, you picked us up. You lift us, lifted us up to the Father. 
There is not a scenario in which you, Jesus, are not the center of this. You made us this offer. Come. Come to the table. As the arbitrator, as the intercessor, Jesus, you set the table. You set the table, and it's a feast of your body and your blood. You set the table, Jesus. And who will be seated around it? Everyone the Father draws through you to that table. May we come. The invitation is there. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Won't you come? Jesus, I I want this time of communion not to just be a, a simple, rote, traditional, symbolic gesture. I want it to be a meal. And I want those who come forward to receive this meal, Jesus, I, I want that to be a, a, a declaration and, and a reminder that your invitation is there and it's real and it's true. All who come, you will never cast out. With the cup and with the bread, I pray that we would be reminded of the work you did, standing between us and our Father, bringing us together, uniting us, causing us to abide in you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.